it. So let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. As today we get to study this amazing section regarding love, which is so important for us as a church. And so let's read Ephesians 5, uh, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You know, Paul here is picking it up, obviously, from where he left off last week, and he uses the word therefore, and so it's always wise to go back and read verse 32. Notice it says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And then he uses the word therefore. We have to walk in love. And so, you know, just before we dive in, you know, my my prayer is just to know the context. We're talking about how you have the capacity to walk with supernatural powers. I mean, we are not just human. We are also partakers of the divine nature. The Spirit of God lives inside of us. And, you know, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So everything, everything is there available to us. And so remember we talked about this, how in Ephesians 1 through 3, he's just trying to tell us as Christians that you have this wealth, you have this wealth. And so he, he, he just, you know, shares with us that truth, how rich we are, how uh, blessed we are, and how therefore we can now go and be a blessing. We can actually walk on water, so to speak, not who, who care? I wouldn't want to walk on water. But when you're walking on water, what that's symbolic of is the devil is underneath your feet. Underneath your feet. You're walking on water because you have that wealth. You're moving mountains because you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Mountains are, you know, those are those crazy things. Think about that you have in your life that you think are impossible. They're crazy. They're, they're going to take you down. This is going to be my doom or whatever it is. And God says, no, you have the Holy Spirit. You can actually walk on water. You can, and we're going to see this right here, you can love a people. You can really truly love people. You can forgive People, think about that. The people that have done us wrong, he says, we have to be tender-hearted towards them, forgiving them. Because think about the way that God has forgiven you. He's forgiven me of all my sins, the things that I did. Well, what did you do, Manny? I crucified him, and he forgave me for that. So if he can forgive me for that and all the other things that I've done against him. We can and we should, from the heart, forgive others. And so, you know, he picks it up from that, and we're going to see it's even more, because now he says in verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of of God as dear children, you know, of God. And so the word dear is related to the word agape, and so it says be imitators of, of God as beloved children of God. You are loved by God. You are loved by him. You are his beloved child. And so he says we have to then reciprocate that love to others. We are to be imitators of God. The, the Greek word right here is where we get our word mimic, 
We're to mimic God. Think about that. And the word means to impersonate, to mirror in action and speech. Um, some of you guys are good at mimicking others, right? I mean, I was thinking about how sometimes we will impersonate someone and, you know, we want them to know who we're impersonating. Oh, that's Elvis Presley. You know, you got that ability to, to have that, you know, uh, gift. And so you can share and they can see. And then God is just saying, this is how I want you to do with your walk as a Christian, that we would mimic, be imitators of God as dear children of God. Have you guys ever seen sometimes a guy, he's got this walk, and then you see his son walk, and he's got the same walk? They're all strutting like this or something, you know? It's in the DNA, you know? It's there for whatever reason. Sometimes you have people walk really straight, and I'm like, wow, their kids, their kids do the same thing. It's in the DNA, right? And it's the same thing for us. The DNA, whatever, the spiritual DNA is in us. And so we have to be imitators of God and walk just like him. And the chief characteristic the chief, number one, number one, the chief characteristic of God's walk is love. Okay, you know it. We know it. The question is, do we live it? Do we live it? You know, if I hear Paul is exhorting us to walk in love, how huge that is. You know, I was thinking about that guy, Robert Southwell. He was often quoted by Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary to India. And she said, not where I breathe, not where I breathe, but where I love, I live. See, it's all, it, it all comes down to this. What's the greatest commandment? You guys know it, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang all the law and the prophets. And so to, you say you love God? Do you love God? Well, you, number one, you got to obey him. Number two, you better love all other people. And that's what he's saying right here. You know, my prayer is our church would just, just man, that we would be a church where when people walk in those doors, they would just sense it, they would know it, they would experience it. Man, these people, they love each other. And sometimes I do get that testimony, and I don't know if it's just because people have different vibes or different experiences, or maybe they had one unique bad experience, but sometimes I will talk to people and they'll say, you know what, I thank God ever since I've been here, it's been years or whatever, I've always sensed nothing but love. Sometimes, though, you don't always hear that from people. And so here God is meeting us as a church, and he's saying, okay, church, I want you to work hard. I want you to mimic God, the way that he loved you, I want you to love other people. I want that to be actually the expression of your love. I was thinking of a couple of verses. If you go over to the next book in the Bible, it's the book of Colossians. And notice what it says in verse 14. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. But it says, above all these things, Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And so you guys know, number one commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. As Paul is writing to the Colossians, he's telling them a whole bunch of things. He didn't just summarize it. And one thing he wants to tell them is above all these things, like we talked about this, there ain't nothing higher on the list. It all comes down to this, love. Above all these things, put on love. Uh, which is this bond. What's the bond of perfection? It's the super glue. 
right? The super glue for Christians. That's what love is. If you go to 1 Peter, if you would, go to 1 Peter chapter 4. And I know you guys know these verses. I'm, I'm learning these, just kind of like, these are becoming kind of like the staple scriptures in my life. You know, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, and above all things, and again, showing the priority of it, have fervent love, passionate love for one another. For, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And again, it makes it that priority right there. I mean, one day, I think, when we stand before God, he's probably going to ask, he's probably going to be judged, Manny, did you love people? Well, yeah, Lord, you know, that's got to be our goal. That's got to be our desire. And, and so, you know, you have, you have to really ask yourself, because you're seeing the, the priority of it, am I a loving person? So when I come towards you, when I'm in your vicinity, when I'm in your space, whatever it might be, are, you, are we ex- expressing love towards each other? Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I wonder, man, I don't think this person likes me. I don't know what I ever did, but for some reason, maybe it's just the way they're wired. Maybe, but what we got to do is we got to go against the grain of who we are. And I don't I want all of us here, every single person here to say, you know what, I want to love people and I want to go you know, against who I am sometimes and I want to make sure it's clear that I love them. You know, you walk in the door, there's a big smile on your face. You get a little close to them, maybe it's a, it's a firm handshake, it's a hug, it's a, hey, how you doing? Good to see you, God bless you, smile. But don't, like, turn the other way. Don't just, like, well, they know I love them. I told them, you know, whatever, 10 years ago. No, there has, this has to be, like, overflowing from our life. You know, as, as imitators of God, those who mimic God, let there be no question in that person's mind. Let there not be no question whether or not you love them. We have to go the extra mile. You know, of course we know it's something that has to overflow from our life, and we don't want it to be manufactured or robotic, but sometimes we just have to die to ourselves and do something that we normally wouldn't do. 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about the importance of love, and it says you might have the capacity to speak in tongues and eloquent and you speak with this amazing you know gift of, of, of eloquence but if you don't have love then he says it's a bunch of noise in god's ears you know if you continue to read in first corinthians chapter 13 verse 2 it says you might have the capacity to understand all spiritual mysteries and you have the faith to move mountains but you don't have love then you we are nothing think about that and then he says in verse 3, and you might give your body to be burned, and you might you know, sell all your goods and all the money you get, you go and you give it to the poor, but because you don't have, if you don't have love, he says it profits you nothing. And that means that one day when we stand at the Bema seat, and you're like, hey, Lord, I did all this for you. And God said, yeah, I saw the way you did all that, because, but, but it was just robotic. It was just you know, like mechanical. It never came from a heart of love. Therefore, you have no reward because you didn't do it motivated by love. And so, you know, in in Ephesians, when he says we are to walk in love, I don't want to leave you guys like hanging, like, okay, well, Manny, how does this work? I, I know, you know, Stephen Chris Chapman, he had a song and he said, 
Lord, show me how to love her because I don't know how to do it. I don't have the smarts. I don't have the intelligence. I need your insight. I need divine details. Show me how to love her. You know, you got to put other people before yourself because I think in one sense, selfishness is really the, uh, the opposite, the antithesis to love. Love is when you're thinking of someone else before yourself. You're, you're looking into their eyes, not interested in the reflection of yourself, not interested in how it's going to affect you. No, just me. I, I'm thinking about you. That's what love is. You know, when we think of love, I always give you guys that def- definition, unconditionally, sacrificially seeking someone else's highest good. And so, you know, you wake up in the morning and you're wondering, what's your, what's your wife's schedule today? What is her, uh, how's she feeling? You know, what's going on in her heart? What are her pains? What are her thoughts? I mean, your kids, you know, your friends, you know, your, the people. As you're living life, you're putting other people before yourself. Uh, and again, Lord, how do we do this? How, how do we you know, show love? There's a really cool book out there. If you guys ever get a chance to check it out, I think it is biblically based, but it's called The Love Language, Five Love Languages by, I think it's Gary Chapman. And, and you know, he talks about how different people speak love in different ways. Like some people, they like words of affirmation. Huh, some of you guys are like that. You like it. Your wife says, wow. Your biceps are so big, you know, and you get so excited. No, no, actually bigger things like that, like, like you know, Rocky too, when his wife said, you know, when, and he, in other words, it's her way of saying, you can beat Apollo Creed. I believe in you. The, a lot of guys, they need those words of affirmation, right? You guys got to figure out who and how you are how, you know, your friends are, your spouse, your children, whatever it might be. There's also, like, quality time. How do you spell love? T-I-M-E, time. Some people, they need that, that quality time, right? Other people, they like, they like gifts. Some, some of you girls here, you're like diamonds. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be diamonds, though. For those of you whose love language is giving or, you know, that type of thing, it could just be anything small but it communicates the fact that you thought of me. You're actually out there in your life, whatever, at your job, on your way home, and you thought of me. And not just that you thought of me, but you knew, you know me enough to know that I like these little chocolates, you know, or whatever it might be. And so you might be one who likes words of affirmation, but your wife might not really be interested in that because she might be just like, she's wired differently. She's like, I, the, I don't, words are cheap. Words are cheap to me. You know, diamonds, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, or gifts or whatever, you know. I mean, that might be her love language. And so and you're all this time, you're trying to show them love, but it's not working because you're speaking your language, not her language, or, you know, just things like that, or it could be, you know, touch, physical touch. That's uh, sometimes uh, an individual's love language, and they just like the massage, or they just like holding hands, or they just like you to put their arm around them. You know, and so all I'm saying is that somehow we have to ask the Lord for the divine details and how to connect the dots, and Lord... I don't want to be a guy who just says, well, every time we talk, I say, I love you. Yes, we do. But the question is, do I? 
do I? And it's not just in marriage. It's not just in marriage. It's in every single person that you will ever see in your entire life. When the Lord gave the example of the Good Samaritan, it was the individual that he brought before his path. That one that was right there, I'm going to love them. It might even be someone that you don't like. And so you only love those who are, you know, fit your whatever your description is of an individual that, you know, can fit inside your life, those are the only ones you love, then you might not even be a Christian. Because everybody loves those who are like them. Everybody loves those who are nice to them. Jesus even addressed this in Matthew chapter 5. I was wondering if you could turn there. In Matthew chapter 5, look what it says in verse 43. Jesus, you know, and by the way, the Sermon on the Mount is what we would call circuit teaching. This is what Jesus would teach wherever he would go. It's the closest thing we have to a Christian manifesto. So this is really important stuff. He would repeat this because it was really the the core of who we are as disciples of Christ. And so he says in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Let me read that again. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons. Now, this is talking about the children thing, that we like God, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. In other words, that you might be like God, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and one sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your, your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father, your father, your father is perfect. How many of you here are interested in being like your father? I mean, I want to be like my father, and I know who his son is. I want to be like Jesus. And so what that means, and I have a long ways to go, but here I am reading it in Ephesians chapter 5. I want to love everyone. Enemies, people that might, I might just meet at the market, you know, those who I know a, a little bit, and they're just they, they kind of like they're sandpaper people. They, run you, they rub you the wrong way. You know, but it's good for you. It's God says, I want you to, I want you to walk in love. You know, and, and back in Ephesians, this is what we're hearing. He says, therefore, be imitators of, of God as beloved children of God and, and walk in love. And, you know, I can give you the description. I can give you the definition. But then we get the manifestation of love. And that's Jesus. It says, as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. 
And so when Jesus Christ came to earth, he was conceived in the womb of Mary. He was born, you know, whatever, nine months later. He grew up and then he, you know, exercised his ministry for three, three and a half years. And he's teaching and he's, you know, sleeping on a rock and he's bundled up on a bench. And, you know, foxes have their holes and birds have their, you know, nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But he's going, he's serving, he's teaching, he's ministering and he's, you know, fighting demons, and then he dies on a cross. God says, that's what I'm talking about. When, when we're talking about love, I can give you a description, definition, whatever it might be, but it's better to see the manifestation of love, and that is Jesus, and that's what he says. I want you to walk in love as Christ also has loved us. Well, how did he love us? He gave himself. He gave himself for us. And that's what we have to do as well. That's our calling as Christians to follow him and, and really to give ourselves to the Lord and, and to give ourselves to the people that he's called us to love and to serve. You know, and, and of course, it's, it's probably something that you'll see as a, as a spouse, as a husband, as a wife. You give yourself for each other. And as a parent, you know, you're giving yourself for your kids. But, but even in the, as a church, you're giving yourself, you know, to God. And I don't know the details. Sometimes you're out there ministering and God has you in parachurch ministries. People are out there. People are taking care of their, their loved ones outside the church and it's a ministry. You're giving yourself, but sometimes it is here. And those of you who are involved in ministry, you know exactly what I'm talking about because that's what God has called you to do. You have laid down your life. You could be doing so many other things with that time, but you have chosen to give yourself a sacrifice, an offering, a sweet-smelling aroma to God is, the, is that when God sees it he, and he smells it, he's pleased with the way that you have given your life. You know, I, I know when I, when I read this, one of the interesting things is that the Greek version of the Old Testament is called the Septuagint. These words right here, offering and sacrifice, they are in the Greek version of the Old Testament. They are found in Leviticus chapters 1 through 3. And in those uh, verses, uh, the word is used for two things. Number one, a grain offering. And then number two, a burnt offering. And so when you read Leviticus chapters 1 through 6 and 1 through 3 or whatever, you might read it and think, man, I get lost in all these sacrifices. I have no idea why I'm even reading this. But then when you start realizing, number one, they all point to Jesus, but then number two, there's significance in these. Then it's, it's cool the way that the Bible just comes alive. And you realize that the grain offering, what the grain offering was, is you would take your harvest, you would you just, you just thresh it, you take it and then you, you grind it and then you, see, you know, you're mixing it up and then you bake it and then you've got like a little pancake sort of thing. You've worked all this work. You've, man, talk about toil. And then you take it and then you give it to the priest. That's called a grain offering. And what that is symbolic of is service. The grain offering is symbolic of service. And, and that's why, you know, me, same thing. I'm telling you guys, how can you serve the Lord? What gifts has he given to you? What opportunities has he given to you? You know, we could have done a lot of different things with our life. And I was, it was kind of funny. 
I was uh, talking to my son the other day, and I was, you know, I'm, I'm blessed by his desire to do math, although I don't know where he uh, gets it from, but he likes to do it, and he's good at it. And I stumbled across an article online, and it talked about how these are good degrees to have, you know, to graduate from college from, and, and you get this type of degree. And because on the list, I noticed on the list, one of the ones highest was a degree in math. And I thought that was interesting. So I forwarded it to him, and then he asked me, well, Dad, why'd you send this to me? And the reason is, because <laughs> I want you to make a lot of money. No, I'm just joking. We just want our kids to be able to support themselves, right? We want them to serve the Lord and to be able to stand on their own two feet one day. Amen? All right. So anyways, I, I forwarded that to him. He's like, well, Dad, why'd you send this to me? Because I didn't realize this, but above that, what, not that the, be, the, the best degrees to have, but above that was the worst degrees to have. And you want to know what was on the top of the list? a degree in theology. And what is that saying? That's saying that pastors don't get paid a lot. <laughs> and so, again, you know, maybe there's some out there that do. Calvary Chapel pastors don't normally get paid a lot, but I tell you what, the benefits are out of this world. The dividends. And so, you know, for me, I'm thinking, well, you know, who knows? Maybe there's some people out there that they should have been pastors. They should have been pastors, but instead they wanted the money. And what God is saying right here is, listen, give yourself as a, as a grain offering, and I don't know what the service will be, and you follow the Lord, and he'll open doors, and he'll show you what it is, and the ministries that you're involved in. But what I found, unfortunately, a lot of times, is people are not willing to serve that way. They're not willing to serve sacrificially. Yes, it will be inconvenient. Yes, it will cost you. This is how we love. This is how we love. And when the church starts loving like this, you know, with this kind of love that Jesus loved, that gave himself to die on that cross for his church, then, you know, this is what we're... And then the church gets healthy. It's this atmosphere of love. And then the church then goes and, and reaches the world. I, I love the movie... Part of the movie I liked was just the fact that these hippies had that unconditional love. And we need to have that for each other, you guys. You know, a lot of times the enemy comes in and, well, this is the reason why I'm going to distance myself from that person and I don't like them. And, and that does not belong in the church. It doesn't. And so, you know, you're reading this and, and the Lord is just saying, this is... What I, I want for you, I want to be imitators of God as dear children, beloved children, and, and walk in love. That's going to be our life. The walk is our, our journey, our moral journey, our life, as Christ also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So number one, in the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, the, the word right here was used for a grain offering, but this word was also used for a burnt offering. And you guys know what a burnt offering is, right? Because a lot of the offerings, when you look at it, it's really fascinating. Some of the offerings, when you go and you take your tri-tip or whatever, and you take it there, and you're giving it to the priest, and so um, what ends up happening is you give some to the priest, and then some goes to the Lord, and then some you might even eat yourself. It's called a fellowship offering, so things like that. And so, but the burn offering is when you take it and you just burn it all. It's just consumed by the Lord. And what he's talking about right here is that's what God calls us to. 
It's that place where we just give everything to God. This is love. This is love. And for us as Christians, as we go through life, I pray that we would have this heart. 1 John 3.16, it says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know, and that's what it is. Many of you here, you've done exactly that. You have found your life because you've lost your life. But many out there have lost their life because they have not been willing to lay it down for Christ. I was thinking again of Amy Carmichael. He said, not where I breathe, not where I breathe, but where I love, I live. And just her 50 years of missionary work in India and all the little girls, all the kids that she saved. And so, you know, looking at love here, um, Paul makes it, you know, clear and vivid for us. But then he kind of transitions into something which I, I think we need to be really careful of. You know, look what we read in verse 3. He says, but, but fornication, which is the Greek word porneia, and all uncleanness or, or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, that's obscenities, nor, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For, for this you know, he says in verse 5, that, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who, ha, who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And so love stands on its own. Love is huge. Love is broad. But I also think that what Paul is doing here is he's contrasting love and lust. Love and lust. You hear it in the vernacular in PG-13. Be careful. You know, let's go make love. That, that's not love. That's lust, right? And so he's saying right here, one of the things that I know you guys need to hear in, in Ephesus, where there was this temple to Aphrodite, to where there was these temple prostitutes, to where the Ephesians basically had the same mentality that we have nowadays, that, that, that sex, free sex is okay. And Paul here is dealing with that. And he said, absolutely not. You know, we have to, this whole context here, it probably fits within it. Although some of these things stand on their own, but I, I think the context here is that because he mentions it in verse 3 and again, it mentions it again in verse 5. And so real quick, I have some statistics. If you guys want to know the sources of them, just email me and I'll send you the notes. 75% of Americans, did you guys know this? 75 of Americans do not oppose premarital sex. Half of those who claim to be Christians in the United States say casual sex is acceptable. Almost 50% of American youth engage in sex before graduation, 50%. One in four Americans don't think that one night stand, and so you're, you know, you're married, so 25% don't think that a one night stand would count as cheating. You know, the other day we were driving down the 605 freeway and I saw this crazy billboard, and the billboard, it said plan A, and they had a condom. So that is in your face. That's the world that we live in now. And, and what Paul is saying right here is, no, we have to make sure that we understand this is not love. 
I mean, looking at love is completely different. As a matter of fact, it's interesting how in the middle of all this, look again, uh, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, which is wanting someone else's, you know, girl or guy, they don't belong to you. Let it not even be named or hinted among you. It doesn't fit for the saved, the saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting. Now, you know, those things might just be, you know, bad stuff, obscenities, but more than likely, if you fit in the context, this is talking about those sexual innuendos. As a matter of fact, one of the words right here, it talks about saying one thing and meaning another thing. And a lot of times we're watching movies that are flooded with sexual innuendos. And so we're partaking of it. Sometimes we're listening to it at the, at the office or job or whatever. He said, no, that should not even be named among you. It's not fitting. But he says, rather, giving of thanks, giving of thanks. And I thought that was interesting. Well, what is that? How does that fit in that context? And more than likely, it's number one, they're just thankful to God. God, I thank you that you saved me from all this. But it might also be like, thank you for my girlfriend. Thank you for my girlfriend, and we are going to stay pure. Thank you for my boyfriend, Lord. I, I, I'm grateful for her. We have a future together. Because when a guy tells you that, you know, he loves you, and then he tries to push you to do something like this, all Paul is trying to say is this is not love, and it's not acceptable to God. There's a big penalty here. Look again in verse 5. For this you know, and Paul had taught Three years at Ephesus, and they know that there are no fornicator, unclean person, covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. And so for us, you know, reading this right here, you know, the, the thing that, that we need to know is this goes against the grain of everything that the world is telling our children. Everything. I mean, they're hearing it from every angle, you know, and this is why we need to really pray and we need to ask God for wisdom in this. As a matter of fact, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, notice the wrath of God, not the wrath of man, not the wrath of the devil, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, it's interesting, he makes the contrast there. Your beloved children of God these are sons of disobedience. And earlier we read in Ephesians 2 that they are children of wrath. And so let there be no mistake. You know, more than likely, I'm sure, you know, 99% of you guys are pure. You're single and you're waiting until you get married. Thank you, Lord. I praise God for that awesome conviction that you have. Single person, wait until you get married. Don't let some guy tell you that this is love because it's not. It's lust. It's greed. It's covetousness. It's idolatry on his part. And so single people staying pure, married people staying pure. I told you guys, you know, God would kill me if I committed adultery and he would use my wife to do it. There is no doubt about it. And so I thank God. I fear the Lord. But still, you know, we have to guard our hearts against anything, you know, that we would allow inside of our hearts and don't get, you know, lulled in through the images that you see on, you know, TV, phone, whatever, movies, all those things. They take their toll because there's two lions living inside of us. Which lion wins? the one you feed the most. And so you're feeding that bad lion. There's going to be something there that doesn't belong. You might lose one day. And so he says right here, because if you practice these things, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. That's a big thing. 
Not only that, I believe that as a Christian, if you wait until you're married, then God will bless that part of your marriage. God will bless it because sexual intimacy is intended to bond you with your spouse for the rest of your life. And so I always, you know, I don't know, it's a silly illustration, but it's kind of like tape. You know, and if you stick tape right here, you pick it up, you stick tape right here, you pick it up right here, eventually it loses its stickiness. And the bonding that was intended to be only for you and your wife, only for you two, it loses its, uh, its ability to do what it wanted to do, what God intended for it to do. So it's a, it's a bonding, it's a blessing. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse 4, the marriage bed is undefiled. It's, it's beautiful what God does with that. And then God can take that gift, and we're grateful for that gift. And what God does is with that gift, he think about this beautiful thing. He blesses us with children. And so don't let the world deceive you into thinking something about this that it's not. And I pray if you're here today and you're engaged in these things, you're struggling with pornography, whatever it might be, you would know we love you. God loves you. And that's why he's talking about this stuff. Paul knows this is very practical in, in any society. And so, you know, let's turn from our sins and let's trust in Christ. You know, he says right here, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, he says, do not be partakers with them. I've seen so many things happen over the years. I've seen uh, people who um, struggled with their sexual identity you know, come to Christ and be set free. I've seen people struggle with you know, the gay lifestyle, homosexual lifestyle, give their life to Christ and come out of that sexual immorality. I've seen some people, single people who were engaged in it, and sometimes they even lived together. I've seen God set them free. They moved out, then they got married. I've seen beautiful things happen. You know, when an individual understands what the Bible teaches, and then they get right with the Lord. My prayer, you guys, is that we would have this understanding of what, what true love is, and let's do this. Let's do this. Let's love the Lord our God with all our soul and mind and strength and heart. And then let's love our neighbor the way that we should. Because this is what God has called us to do. And may he help us to walk in love. Something only possible if we first know his love. And let's, let's close there. As a matter of fact, you know, I don't think you're going to ever be able to love the way that you're supposed to unless you first realize how much God loves you. You got to get that, you guys. I pray that would sink in. You know, you're struggling, you're hurting. My, my prayer today is that if you're out there and you're not a Christian, or maybe you're out there, you've drifted away from God, you know what? You might even be someone who comes here every single week, every single week, but you have drifted away from God. You know, the Lord doesn't want us to come to a study like this and leave the same way. You know, my prayer is that we would get right with him and just cry out to him. Now, Psalm 57, too, it talks about how we are to cry out to God and he'll meet us there. And that God does that work. And so if you're not a Christian, I pray you would know that the wages of sin is death. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
But Jesus Christ, he bore our sins, right? The gift of God is eternal life. And when he died on the cross, he died for all your sins. They put him in a grave and the third day he rose again to show us the victory. Conquer that coffin, gut the grave, defeat death. And if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today, then you can be saved. And all the Christians, I pray that right now you just be praying for anyone here who might not be saved. You know, because someone, they, they trip out. They're like, what are you talking about, getting saved? You mean to tell me I can get saved just like that? Yes, because he did all the hard work. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. To the intellectuals, it's foolishness. You mean to tell me all I have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and I'll be saved? Yes. To those who are religious, like the Jews, it was a stumbling block. No, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. I have to do more sacraments, something. No. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. Don't be gambling with your eternity. Don't be playing games with God. Don't come to church once a year. No, we got to be in. We're part of a church. We're part of a body. This is who we are. We're a team. And my prayer is that if you've drifted or if you have never given your life to Christ, that today you would just say yes. I remember when I accepted the Lord that day, God came into my life. And then when you get saved today, or when you recommit your life today, and then you go and you talk to someone and you just say, okay, I want to get discipled. And God will do that work if you desire.